This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. This one is all about our eight egos, and if you're an eight, you might be rolling your eyes and saying, come on, enough with the eight ego, that's all we hear about is how big our egos are. But I am here to say that we all have egos, and eight's egos are no bigger than anyone else's. They just might be a little louder. That's about it. So listen in, we're going to talk about how ego really is just about the I am statements we tell ourselves from the time we're little. And if those become a little too set, a little too firm, then that might become a problem when we're older. So we need to hold those I am statements a little bit loosely. This episode is part one of two episodes. This episode will be about the building of an ego. Erin and I talk about the different I am statements that we've built into our lives as young eights. Next week, we're going to talk about how to step on out of that ego rut and start to create new narratives for yourself about who you really are instead of who you felt you had to be to survive when you were younger. So as you're listening, think about what you've been telling yourself about who you are and maybe start to question that. Today, my son was in shelter in place in school. It's what happens when they don't let the kids out of the school because there's a threat outside. It was because there was an incident with the police and a family. It was some sort of family issue with a mentally ill child. My brother-in-law, so he witnessed the incident going on and he kept saying the parents were so embarrassed. And the only thing I could think of was I need to get home and bake them cookies and tell them they are loved and drop that on their doorstep because they need to know they are loved. Hi. It's <laughs> always so awkward. I like, know. Hi. We're, You're we're, sitting right in front of me. We've been chatting for 10 minutes. I know. Yeah. We're like, we should do preambles <laughs> because that's a thing people do. But really, we just want to get to it. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> anyway. Oh, what have you been up to? Well, it's been a little bit of a heavier week just in terms of people struggling. I think a lot of people yeah. are struggling out there. Like your people. Yep. Yep. People around me just needing, I don't know. I think a lot of people come to us and they're like, what do I do about this thing? And I've learned that we can't actually fix them. So I just listen. I've just been doing a lot of listening and a lot of loving and a lot of, I just can't fix it. And I want Mm. to so badly. But yeah, so many people are hurting pretty deeply these days. So it's a hard, yeah, for sure. But in other news, Ellie ate a bar of soap. <laughs> she she, she actually shook the Parmesan bottle into her face and it went like down oh her God. dress. She ate half a cake. <laughs> we found evidence under the table. What that kid, she do? she's a delight. Yep. And then you, she's you get destroying and she's all just of this that. little like beautiful <laughs> bombshell. Yes, she is. <laughs> she is. Yep. Yeah, so she she definitely is teaching me to let go of control or rather that I never had control. Yeah. It's, it's so she's true. helping me realize that I feel I, like COVID's trying to tell us that too. I just haven't subscribed yet to that. Amen. She is. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, but it, so my sweet. house takes, it takes a toll on my house. Yeah. <laughs> she's worth it. Anyway. But yeah. How about you? Um, I am still trying to get better. Yeah. I'm, I'm on day three of feeling a little better. I still can't drink a cup of coffee. I'm trying really hard right now, but and I'm not pregnant, just so you all know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing I asked. I'm like, are you sure? I am not pregnant. No, no, I'm just battling some health issues that I don't know. Nobody can seem to figure out. So I'm on to the whole natural world now and we'll 
we'll go through that because I think it might be more helpful. But mm-hmm. it's hard seeing you that way, though, because you are well, you're busy and you want to get stuff done. And oh yeah, I hate it. It's hard. It's so hard. It's like I have no option but to lie in bed and I just hate every minute of it. So I'm a pretty angry person in this world. <laughs> a lot of people don't see it, but I feel it all the time. Yeah. All right. So we're we're carrying on with our season where we are unpacking the Enneagram and exploring each of the components of the system using eight language. So we are going to start at the beginning, which is essentially the ego, which is kind of at the heart of all of our behaviors. What would you say an ego is? How would you define ego? (laughs) So to me, prior to some Enneagram training, ego was always being egotistical, right? Being high on yourself and being bragging about yourself a lot. Mm-hmm. That's what ego is to me. It's right. For sure. I think that's how it's used most commonly. There's truth in that for sure. I looked up what ego means in the dictionary. Ego basically is just the word for I. And so if you think about it, it is essentially what we tell ourselves about who we are. Yeah. The I of who we are. And it is a construct. So in the Enneagram, your type is essentially your ego fixation, like where you're fixated. And the I is what you've built to cope with childhood, essentially. Some people will talk about how you're supposed to bust out of your type and essentially kind of shed it. And Erin and I have struggled with that probably because we've gotten to the point where we love the parts of our eight selves that are healthy and good and we can see how they're useful in the world. And so we can't help but think, no, I don't think you're supposed to completely shed your type, you're you're supposed to grow healthy in your type. And part of that means accessing all the other types and learning to understand them and not being judgmental of the other types and then starting to thoughtfully attempt to live out of certain traits from the different types. I really don't think that we're created to be everything. Yeah. We have like a unique purpose, right? Yeah. I think that we're all created with our own gifts. I also think that if you, if you don't think that they're gifts, then we have so much shame. So it is important to recognize that the things you tell yourself about who you are can be really harmful. The narrative that you tell yourself about yourself builds your ego and your ego, as we know, can be incredibly unhealthy and based on a lot of things that are not actually true, which can be shaped by parents, upbringing, Like I am a monster? Yes, exactly. We're going to get into that. But yeah, for sure. So this episode is going to be going through the I am statements that Erin and I told ourselves before we became more self-aware. The I am statements from our childhood and the things that we would have said built up our identity before we became more aware. I also think there are things we're proud of. We were proud of, right? Mm -hmm. Very proud of. Yeah. And then once you become more aware, those I am's Maybe they don't go away completely, but they they change and they become more nuanced and um, we begin to see different angles to it and we hold them a little more loosely and we're more open to change maybe would be a way of saying it. Yeah, and I think once you learn them and you learn more about yourself in that sense, you're more aware of why you're doing that, why you're saying those statements. Once you realize that all you're doing is trying to protect something inside of you, they don't feel so strong. Just want to read this quote. It says... People differ in the degree to which they can step outside their own perspective to see things from others' viewpoints. 
But we're all locked into our own egocentric viewpoint because there's no way for us to process information except from our own personal frame of reference. So that's a neutral way of describing ego, just as the reality of things. You are you, and you have your own story that you're living. And so if you put it that way, it's neutral. It's that things start to come into your personal narrative, and then they become really hard, like concrete. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. That's how they, they become your truth, right? You, well, you know the term they often refer to being entrenched in your type. It's like the groove it's you're your stuck cave. in. Yeah, yeah. And you sometimes proudly don't want to move out of it, or you actually can't for various reasons. Um, and so, yeah, this is just uh, going to be a discussion about the particular rut that we were in, <laughs> still are in some ways, and um, maybe how we can get out of it. I am stronger than you. Yeah, so how did that show up? Uh, For me, it wasn't so much in terms of toughness. It was more in terms of I'm up for anything. I guess that is toughness. (laughs) I'm up for anything and um, I'm not scared. Yeah, I remember Brian Prince, who I'm pretty sure was an eight. So he was the dad of one of our guy friends. And he was, oh, he was a big bear of a man with a mushy heart. He was a foster kid who'd been bounced around the system. And he just came out of there with all this love to pour on the world as a response to how little love he got. Incredible man. But I think he saw something in you and me where he was like, ooh, they're game. They are game for all the crazy (laughs) stuff. That um, that I'm game for, and so we're going to put them through the ringer. So remember, especially he, on the tube, on the, the behind the boat. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I think I have a, had a concussion yep. after one of those. He made a point of trying to get Aaron and I to fly higher than anybody else before we landed again. And I think looking back, the most dangerous thing he did to me, to all of us, was bring us to these cliffs. And he told us that they were, oh, how many feet? 60 feet high. And he made it sound like, eh, no big deal. They probably were closer to 70. And he egged us on. There were different levels. So there was the 20, 30. Anyway, the top one was like 70 feet. And I just remember thinking like, I will do this because this is who I am. I am the girl that will jump off the cliff when no other person is brave enough or tough enough to do it. And I landed and burst all the blood vessels in my arm. My arms were purple. That's a dumb ego moment. So my ego moment, I make up my mind that I don't need to be that person. And I take the other stance of like, I'm proud that I don't need to do that right. to be <laughs> to be cool. Right. Whatever. Right. <laughs> to be tough. Yes. My toughness was in standing my ground. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. I can see that actually being more badass in a way. (laughs) I think it comes in terms of, for me, a lot of the times to self-help. Like I'm really good at self-help. I'm really good at sorting myself out, my kids out. My daughter had Lyme disease. I went against everything in our medical system here and I sorted it out by myself on gut. To me, I can use that as I'm really strong. I can sort myself out. I can sort my family out. And I look at some of my friends who don't have that ability to solve things, whatever their reasons are, shame, fear, and... We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. I look at that and think I'm tougher than you. 
right? Or I used to. I now know that's not true at all. I think I used to play the role in my family of being the tougher sister, for sure. I, I felt like it was, who else will do it if we don't, yeah. right? And just like the, the more obvious things, like I definitely for sure would see other people falling apart emotionally. And I thought, ooh, that's, that's icky. <laughs> Which is girls are so dramatic in elementary and high school. And I just wanted no part of that. I didn't like any of the drama. I probably was proud of the fact that I was not interested in the drama. I am alone and I don't need you. So we've talked about this where Aaron doesn't relate as much to the loneliness. I, I think I, being social, I've always had um, or always held people close to me. And I, re- I relied on them a lot. Like I've always had someone I can call daily or I've never really learned until the last few years to be alone. So I've never been lonely until probably the last two years. <laughs> and it's I've never felt super alone, but I don't need you. I definitely have always felt like the stronger person in a relationship. Like I, aren't you always the mentor? Who mentors you? Someone. Okay. So last night I, um, I do this thing where I walk down my road in the dark and that's when I pray and I pray like really loudly (laughs) with a lot of arm movements, (laughs) get right into it. And I had read a verse in the Bible about, how there aren't many spiritual parents kicking around who are willing to invest in people anymore. And I burst into tears because I don't have a spiritual parent. I had my mom, now she's gone. And I remember actually specifically going to two or three women who I looked up to and saying, you know that, I feel so weak saying this, that book about the chick that says, will you be my mother? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's what I felt like. It was so vulnerable. And I was like, will you be my spiritual mother, please? And for various reasons, they, they said no, it wasn't direct no. It was um, one of them said, I don't have anything to offer you. You're, you seem so together. And then the other was dealing with her own stuff. So she didn't have any bandwidth. So basically, it fit the narrative I always tell myself, which is you just have to take care of yourself because nobody, nobody can handle you or no one's strong enough to do it. And you know what, you've been doing okay so far. So just keep doing it. But man, I just want a mom. I went down to Nashville for my sister-in-law's baby shower, um, maybe nine years ago. I met this family that, that was hosting the baby shower. They're a well-known family in Nashville. I remember it, it was just after the time my father-in-law had just dropped of a heart attack. And it was such a sad time in my core family with my husband. Um, we had just lost him and I flew out a few weeks after that had happened. And I was sitting in the kitchen and the mother of the husband in this home sat with me and just just knew stuff was on my heart. And without asking, just started praying with me. And it was such a gift. I remember distinctively on the airplane on the way home thinking, I wish I could be there with her. I wish she could take me in. I wish she would. I wish I could stay with her. Oh, so I think we were grown up before we were supposed to grow up. I think we skipped the part where we were little girls and we became women and we just want to be little girls. Like we, we don't want to admit it, but we want to be little girls who are held and who are mothered and who get to finally put down our fists and just like curl up and be just held, I think. So I think we do want that. I think there's been a time where I wasn't ready for that, right? Because I knew everything. So I think if we want that, we have to be. Oh, I never would have admitted that until just honestly, since my mom died, I for sure would have said, I don't need anyone. 
I think I might have even said, like, I don't need my mom because I was taking it for granted. I had a really awesome mom. It's just that when something gets taken away, you realize how much you are leaning on it. And so I realized I was leaning on my mom and myself. So then my mom goes and suddenly it's just me leaning on me. And I'm like, ooh, that's that's not good enough. Like, that's just not good enough. I need something else. I need something more. But I was not practiced at anything, but you can do this on your own and you don't need anyone. And so learning to exercise that muscle feels, that's vulnerability for sure. And I tried. And I asked. Painful, right? I got when told no. So told no. I'm out. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out what to do with that. Honestly. Nothing. Time, yeah. I, right? I can't go hunting for a no. mother. <laughs> I will not. Do you know what? I think, I think we have to be those moms to somebody someday. So that's and what I'm spending all my energy doing. We need to go find those eights too yeah. that we, we know need to break down a little bit before they can be mothered. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we spend a lot of time mothering and big sistering people. Mm-hmm. And that does fill you up a fair bit. I still don't know if that's enough, though. I think we are supposed to receive from people. My relationship with my mom and dad is a little bit different than it was when I was a child. But I was so independent as a child anyways, right? And I did trust my dad a lot with his faith and our faith. And when he broke that trust, I, 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 don't, I can't go back there. And though he's, he's back in church and he's back. And his relationship with God is none of my business. But his and my relationship, I, I lost that mentorship. And yeah, it's never been back. I definitely remember cultivating, oddly enough, that feeling of aloneness, even in high school, where every time I felt like I didn't fit in the group, because I don't know, you never know why you perceive things as rejection and why you don't. But anytime I felt like I didn't fit, I took another step backwards until before I knew it, I just made sure I had my own style, my own interests. And that none of them were like anyone else's. So I think it was a way of hedging myself about like, there's no comparison if I'm doing what I want to do. And it's different than everybody else's. And I can see now that I was self protecting by being different than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all solo sports, like a lot of um, long distance running. It was for sure like I had gym memberships I'd go to at lunch in high school when everyone else was hanging out. I'd go and run on the treadmill for an hour and a half on high speed. Yeah, just (laughs) right. I was just like, I won't even give you an opportunity to reject me because I will create my own fortress and be completely self-sufficient. So that started pretty young for me. Definitely. I can see it now. I think the social pieces where I'm so different in that, mm-hmm. right? Where you find I meaning be, in the group where I, I just, I get it just hurts from me being in a group, yeah. but I, but I also need to be in control. If I feel not valued or not in control, I will not be part of the group. You'll just slowly step away. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, that's my goal right now is to learn how to be in a group and just be. To all of our eights, we really need to hear from you because this space is about building eight language from the inside. Let's set the record straight about what it's really like to be us. To all our non-8s, we need to hear from you just as much, because you're on the outside looking in. What do you see? Let us have it. We can handle the pushback. Join our community by subscribing to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Leave us a rating and review. Follow us over on Instagram at the Enneagram 8 Podcast. And tell everyone you know. Invite fellow eights into this community so they feel seen and heard, and invite the people who love you or don't to listen in and learn a thing or two. We want to fill this space with voices, so why don't you go ahead and add yours?
I am honest. I am truth teller. How has that showed up pre-awareness? I think we think we're honest. I really do. I think we really believe we're honest. Oh, I'm not questioning that. Yeah. We are honest. I'm saying we are why, honest, but we what's aren't been honest. wrong with the so, sometimes we're entrenchment and we tell people things that are not ours to tell. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. We do. And and we're not honest about ourselves. So it's not true because what I believe about me is not what I portray I believe about me. And that's coming to a head soon. <laughs> Just a heads up. No. no, I think we're pretty quick at seeing something in someone else and calling it out and thinking that that's for sure our job to do that. I'm not sure we think about the hypocrisy sometimes. It's not even just that. It's the, we don't always have the whole story and we don't have all the information. So there are times where the truth is there in front of us. And I distinctively remember one of my friendships broke down and I am sure this is why. And I said something that was true, absolutely true, Mm -hmm. but it was so harsh. And I think my intent was to be harsh because I'm a person of action and they were taking no action, but it was so harsh that I think I, I damaged our friendship. And I think that had I been more aware of what else was going on in the situation, had I been more aware of her type and how I would affect her by saying that, I could have done it in a totally different way. And, or maybe not at all. Maybe I could have just loved her. Mm -hmm. I just have a story back when I was in elementary school, I think it was nine. And I find that trios never work very well. So it was three girls in a group. And I and one of the girls told us that her parents were getting a divorce, right? And now as a grown up, I am so incredibly aware of the pain of that. As a kid, all I knew, especially from a church background was divorce is bad. And so I said that I didn't pause and empathize with her. I didn't pick up the social cue of this is so hard. I'm so sorry. My nine year old self just said, They shouldn't do that. And that was it. The friendship was never the same. So even as a little, little kid, I just went for it, said the thing and caused a fair bit of hurt. And of course, you get more tempered with age, but people get more sensitive maybe with age. So I think it amounts to the same thing where the more we become a little more nuanced, it's still more intense and more blunt than most people are ready to hear. And we often don't see the problem because it's just the truth. Yeah. So there's a lot to learn about actually just not saying it at all because it's just not valuable. They've got to figure it out themselves. It also just goes back to what's mine to do, right? We feel like everything is and and that's something we really need to be considerate of. Do you relate to um, the kind of inner narrative of if I don't say it, no one's going to say it? Absolutely. Or if I don't do it, no one's going to do it? So again, Suzanne Stabile and what's yours to do and... And being so angry at that, thinking, of course, I need to. I think we're coming away from that now. I think we are getting better the more we are aware of our surroundings and and reading people. Like when I pause because I move so fast that sometimes I don't sit and listen to the cues in my gut. Sometimes I come away from situations and my my gut feeling comes later. It's delayed Mm -hmm. because I'm just moving too quickly. I'm not I'm not tapping into my gut. And when that comes, I'm a lot of the times it's too late. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to sit in it. And just feel it. I've been hearing a lot about the both and, like both slash and of life, and how two things can be true at the same time. So I stand by that, that a lot of the time, no one will say it but us. That's actually one of the things that I think I'm happy to own, 
that I will say the thing. I will say the thing and bear the consequence. Some things are ours to say. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that we need to shed that. You know, it is. It's one of the superpowers for sure. It's that the and that's also true is we need to be better at filtering out when, how, whether or not it's us or um, one of the things I've started to do is say, is this a truth that someone else can say better than me. So that's if, a good thought. right? Yeah. That's so good. I've actually match made a truth teller that isn't me with someone that needs to hear the truth. So I will think about the thing that needs saying, I will see it, I will name it. And then I will go, who does that person really respect? What kind of human are they? How sensitive are they? And then I think of someone else who also is seeing the same thing. And then I encourage them to be the truth teller. Mm-hmm. Because it's going to be received better from that person than me. So there is also that where it doesn't always have to be us. Is there like an, an inner sense of feeling like you don't have integrity inside if you don't say the true thing? Do you feel like you're a faker or a... I don't feel authentic if yeah. I can't say what I'm thinking. Right. If I used to feel like if I was silent, I was complying. Right. And I don't feel that anymore. Right. I feel sometimes that it's okay for me to just be silent. So it's in line with your cliff jumping you somehow felt like you could still stand on not doing it. And that was you holding your power. So it should be also true that we cannot say the thing and not feel like we're giving compromise or something. And it just feels so difficult to do. But I think we do need to learn that. I am my own rule maker. I am free. I wonder if I struggle with this more than you. Rules? Yeah. I follow rules. As long as they make sense to me. Right. And when they don't, like today at the school, when I knew my kid did not have COVID and now they want me to prove on a piece of paper or sign my life away to say she does not have COVID, that makes me angry. Because mm-hmm. that rule to me is stupid. Mm-hmm. Rules are only rules when they make sense to me. If they do not, then I don't feel like I need to follow them. Agreed. I don't defy in a way that's very loud and dramatic. I just stubbornly do me, even if it's not in line with the rules. And I'm kind of inviting someone to push back. In high school, I used to (laughs) cross my legs at my desk and the teacher over and over would say, you have to sit properly at your desk. And I was like, this is stupid. I'm wearing jeans. It's not like I'm in a skirt. And I'm more comfortable with my feet. So every day I try it again. (laughs) Because that rule doesn't apply because it's a dumb one that doesn't make any sense at all. And is possibly sexist. I don't know. (laughs) I should have gotten one of my boyfriends to try and uh, put their legs up and see if they got a response. But I think they they saw it as respect. And I was like, this is not disrespectful. This is about physical comfort. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway. um, Yeah. So I still will do that. I will live my life in a way that's free and in line with how I see is reasonable. (laughs) And I'm kind of inviting pushback. Um, I don't invite the pushback. I invite someone to join me. (laughs) So I I want people to join me. And then I feel almost like giddy because it's like we're on the same team. We have this like camaraderie, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. No, it is. It is a deep, deep thing. This autonomy thing. It runs so deep. And I still also think it's a superpower. Well, are you ever scared when you break the rules? No, no. No, where it becomes a problem is if your freedom leads to other people's discomfort Discomfort. or harm. So we want to be free, but sometimes that comes at the expense of someone else. And we just didn't think that through. 
And then we have to deal with the hurt it causes. Or So that's a struggle that I, I still face a fair bit. But it's so deep in there. I want you to be free too. I want to be free. I want you to be, I want us all to be free. And um, some rules make a lot of sense to me. I'm not anti-rules. I just, some of them to me feel like they're just for rules sake. You know what I wonder too, though? I think our gut tells us so much, right? So we, when we want to act on our gut, it's our natural instinct to do so. And it's almost impossible not to. It takes some real honing in to not act on our gut a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And when we get into rules that don't allow us to use that superpower we have, I think that's really It hard. feels suffocating. It feels suffocating. Mm -hmm. And I think people we don't, don't value gut though. So, so interesting. They value thinking and emotion. So last night I was on the Enneagram Prison Project training and one of the, the women who was running my course, Joe and I are both in the program, but we're in different classes. And the woman who was running my class is like, she spent 20 years studying neuroscience. And so she was saying that what we don't know or what we don't pay attention to or value is that there are neurons in our heart and in our gut and in our head. So the head is not the only thinking center. We can think from our gut and we can think from our heart and we don't, we don't give that validity in this world. No, this particular culture is a head culture, lots of thinking, science, rationality. And I think it's becoming more of a heart culture. And so feelings are very validated and follow your heart, etc. And we our currency is gut. And there are no real measurable, right? You can't measure gut and you can't explain gut. You can't um, put that into an equation and put it in a textbook. Well, it's so fresh and it's so frustrating at times, right? Like I was in the hospital last week trying to figure out what's going on with me and I have I have some sort of idea, but it's not showing up on the tests they're doing. And I just know in my gut what part of this problem is right now that I'm suffering from, but nobody believes me because it's not on a tangible measured test that they do. Mm -hmm. And Western medicine is all about the science and the things you can measure. And how do you say to a doctor, like, I know in my gut. Mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> you can't, right? I know. You look crazy. Yeah, for sure. So I leave till next time. Yeah, very tricky. I bristle when someone tries to hem me in. And so I actually have visceral reactions to cops. <laughs> um, so I remember being pulled over when I was 18 in a minivan. I had all my siblings in the back. And the cop was... If you guys, you need to maybe do some research into Canadian ways, but we are French and English. And there's been a lot of historical tension between the French and the English. And about that time, there was referendums trying to, so that Quebec would be separate. And I was just very aware of that, maybe. And this particular cop was from the other side of the river. He was a Quebec cop. And I remember his lights were there in the rear view I heard his accent, I saw his license plate, and I just swaggered out of the van. And I was like, this is because I'm English, right? <laughs> and I kept calling him, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and I was kind of horrified. It's like my brain was split in two. And one was on autopilot, completely repelling the control he was trying to have over me. That was my perception. And the other side of my brain was like, stop, <laughs> stop it. This man is doing his job. <laughs> so that's when I start to feel a little bit unstable because I'm just not so sure what would happen if I was under a dictatorship. I think I'd just be shot pretty quick because yeah. I would... 
uh, I wouldn't go easy into fine. the you night. You think I'll be shot. I think I'm going to just leave. <laughs> you can't. But if you can't leave, then you can't. I'll be shot. Exactly. <laughs> no, I know. I do struggle with that. Any perceived sense of being controlled or my freedom being pushed on. And I'm not the best me. I'm definitely not living out of a self-aware brain. I don't really think through my actions. I just... When you're hemmed in. Yeah, when I'm hemmed in. Yeah, it's it's a tough spot for me. Oh, well, this one is more related to me. It's the I cause harm. And we have spoken about that. We don't need to say a whole lot more, but I definitely feel like I, in my past, really took that on as an identity. Definitely felt like because I can read people's reactions and responses, if you build up enough negative responses, and the common denominator is you, you, of course, are going to build into your identity, I am someone who causes harm. I didn't feel at all like I am a healer, or I am a helper, even though that was very true. I was all those things. I was focused on I am harmful, because obviously that felt like rejection. And that's what I decided to focus on and take in. And yeah, that is... Well, you say it's all you, but I think I am faster moving. I'm definitely ADHD. So (laughs) mix that with the eight and I don't stop. And I actually look back... I think I caused a lot of hurt. I think I was very harmful. You just didn't notice? I just didn't notice. And I never felt like I did harm. And I never thought it until the last couple of years. Ooh, interesting. Whereas I knew in the moment. I did not know. I was just moving along, doing my thing. And I think I harmed people. Interesting. That would be my four. Because I'm always, always going internal and doing a scan, right? So I was aware all the time how it was landing. I just kept running. I kept moving. And I was just on to doing... I was not aware because also because my feelings didn't get hurt the way others did, right? So I kind of ran the world the way I received the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I looked at the collateral damage till the last few years. Interesting. Okay, we spoke about this already, but... (laughs) I just know. (laughs) I just know. Yeah, we just have a really strong tie between our body, our gut, and then we link that with what's true. And we have to be aware that it doesn't mean it is true. It just feels true. A lot of the time it is, though. Yeah. Most of the time I would say I'm right, but uh, sometimes I'm not. When it's wrong, it's spectacularly wrong. Because we have thrown all of our certainty behind it with all the intensity that we can muster. And And we're shocked, generally shocked when it's wrong. Oh, absolutely. And possibly not so good at admitting it was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And because... I find that a lot of people are coming to me to look for the way forward. To be wrong as me means that other people are led down a path that is wrong. And that is almost too hard to bear. Yeah. To the point where I don't even want to advise anymore, you know? Just like, you do you. (laughs) Let me know how it goes. When When you do get hurt like that, I definitely back off when I get hurt. When I've done something wrong or when someone just disagrees. Mm -hmm. I can still even think it was right, but yeah, it was wrong. Don't you think it it would help just to change the language though? So if they're coming to you, you can say, listen, I don't have stats. I don't have data. This is what I'm feeling might be the case. And this is something you can look into. But what if you did this? What if you did that? And then you're not responsible. It's not like you're putting your gut out there as like a scientific document telling them that this is a fact. Instead, you're just saying, listen, this is the currency I deal with. This is what I have to offer you. Take it or leave it. But my sense is, 
Yeah. Right? Yep. No, no, I agree. I think getting away from the I language, like I would think you should do this, or mm-hmm. I, you know, instead and getting into that, like, you. general. Yeah, you, or, or what, presenting what it. feels right to you yeah, and yeah. making people start to use their superpower mm-hmm. or hone in on it, right? Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I had this same thing happen to me this week because friends of ours have asked me to help renovate their bathroom. And so they wanted me to design it. And so last night the husband called to ask questions, right? Should we put this here? Should we do this here? And I, I said to him, like, I'm a little afraid here. <laughs> I've given you all these answers and you're going with all the things I say. But if you hate this bathroom, it's going to be all my fault, <laughs> right? I am passion. I feel like sometimes like... My body's radiating a sense of rightness about a thing that I love. And I think it like spills all over whoever's listening in a way that must feel really like quite something. I bet. And I've, I've seen it before. A lot of the time in the moment, I'm so entrenched in my passion. I am not even paying attention to how they're receiving it. I'm lost no, if in you my watch world. Them, yes. They start, the eyes get wide and they kind of back up. Yes. And- <laughs> but it's only later that I'm like, ooh, I missed that cue. <laughs> I missed that cue in the moment. And also the way we speak about something and stand behind it with all our energy probably feels prescriptive. So it feels to the hearer like we're not brooking any option for them to disagree. I don't think that's true. When you bring that much like a Baptist minister zeal to something, I wonder if a lot of those types that are not so good at expressing feel like they have to just go along with it. I I don't think I respond well when they don't in those moments. When I am so passionate, I know I'm right. I, I I don't think I receive the other side well. Yeah. And that's that's something to remember, right? And I can feel when I'm stuck in a passionate whirlwind of a thing. Like it's it's a full body experience. And And can you get out of it when you're in it? It's so hard. It's so hard. It's super hard. I think the work has to be done before you even step out of your house. So I do this thing where I scan for ways I'm unbalanced in life. Because when I jump into something passionately, I become a little unhinged. Like it becomes my whole world. The Instagram post is all Joe. You know that because you see me once in a big blue moon, jump in and say one or two little things. Yeah. Um, she's, but this is your talent. And when you jump in, you're so gifted. Right? But what if things are falling off on the, the radar side, right? because I'm fixated on something, right? That's the, the dance I have to do yeah. all the time. And so that's what I've started doing is I'm, I like scan my life and I go, okay, am I putting too much zeal and passion into this one area to the neglect of another area? Am I focused on this person to the neglect of that person? I don't think I'm a good multitasker. I have a very razor focused depth of field. I really kind of narrow in on, on one person or like one thing and give it all I have. And then other people feel like they're left in the cold. And so I've learned to be a little more careful with that. I do love, love being passionate, though. Like, it feels like home to be that. I think... Oh, yeah. I I don't razor focus a lot, but I do sometimes. Um, I haven't had the luxury of that lately, just because of the way I've been feeling. But I do. You said earlier this week that you are so bored. And I think God just gave you a lot of space for this right now. It's true. It's hard not to be passionate about building a community of people who feel like you and who feel safe feel safe yeah yeah 
especially in the time where things feel really uncertain and unsafe. Mm -hmm. The timing is interesting yeah. because we've been talking about it for a while. This was yep. a pre-COVID idea and yet it happens to be now that we've had the space to do it and it One. might be now that we need it. But yeah, so the tricky thing with passion is I expect other people to be as passionate and I can, <laughs> I don't, I don't know anyone else who, who is quite Sorry. that passionate. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone is as passionate as a full body type would be. Um, and so I can't expect that of them. And so I've learned that my daughter as a five can kind of deadpan me face me about her love of Harry Potter and Slytherin, <laughs> but it's done with like, you know, no animation in her voice. <laughs> and she is actually expressing as much passion as I do when I do my full body like right. thing. It's just her way of expressing it. Oh man. Right. And she shows her passion by collecting things on that subject whereas I want to talk about it yes. very passionately and so I've learned to not measure passion or judge people based on what I perceive is oh, like I a passionless that, life well that would be I love my husband dearly but man does he kill my he's like stone-faced all the time when I'm like how can you not get excited I feel like he has special scissors that snips through passion or overexpression, and he goes snip snip just with a few <laughs> words and you're like oh deflated <laughs> so true and it's so funny because when we talk about it he's always like i feel happy like i am happy i'm like no you're not <laughs> i want to go run in the beach and you're like so angry because the sand gets in your toes like <laughs> that's it for today we hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor mm -hmm.